Well, I hope you guys are doing well. It's really great to see you. Again, uh, I kind of see some faces, I feel like, every week that I'm like, well, I haven't seen you forever, so I'm glad you came tonight. I hope you're having a great week. If you're new tonight, if you've never been here before and you came with a friend, we're really glad, we're really glad you came. Um, tonight is uh, part three in a series we've been in from the beginning of January called The Unity and Community. And uh, here's the thing, but before we jump in tonight, I want to do just a real quick review um, one, to kind of just catch us up, most of you were probably here the last two weeks, but if you weren't, the, these all, all these talks kind of flow together. We're going through the book of First Peter, and uh, you can always go online and listen to them. But here's, here's kind of how they lay out in the series, and this may even be helpful for you. Um, so here's the, here's the thing. Part one, we really kind of answered this question. What is, what, what, what's the foundation of Christian community? What's the foundation of Christian community? And uh, this is the test now, but does anyone remember what I talked about two weeks ago? It was the topic of the night, but it was the foundation of Christian community. So this is, this is good. This shows how excellent of a teacher I am. Anyone? The gospel. We said the gospel is the foundation of Christian community. You remember this? I, I had a green handout. Nobody remembers. That's awesome. No, it's fine. Um, all right. Second week. This was seven days ago, folks. Seven days ago. We said this. We were kind of asking this question. What characterizes Christian community? What characterizes Christian community? And James taught, and one word that James talked on starts with an H. Holiness. Totally great. That's awesome. So the first week, here's the foundation, and then here's what characterizes Christian community. And so tonight is this, what is the product of Christian community? What's the product? Happiness, hopefully. But that's not what I'm talking about. What does Christian community produce? And so that's tonight. Um, Ben will be up here again teaching next week, final part, um, so look forward to that. So we're going to dive in. I'm going to pose a question tonight that we've all asked before at some point, and uh, it's a good question. It's a deep question. I think many of you probably haven't had um, maybe numerous conversations with this question. Maybe you have. It baffles the, uh, the smartest philosophers out there as well as maybe the most innocent three- or four-year-olds, and uh, it's a great question. Um, it's something that we have to have an answer to if we're going to just live in this world, and it's this. Why? Why are we here? Why are we here? And I don't mean here at Oasis. I mean, why are we here on this earth? What's the point of all this? Um, what, why does human existence, what is it really all about? What is the purpose of life? You know the answer to that question? Have you thought about it before? I bet you have. Maybe even it was just something in your subconscious, like, this really, I'm going through something really hard. What is, go, like, what, what is the point of all this? What is, why are we alive, really? What is the purpose of life? As I just said, you cannot function normally as a human being without some kind of answer to that question. I don't know what you believe about God or Jesus. I don't know um, what your thoughts are, but each one of you, every one of us, we're living for something. There's something that wants to make you keep living. And if it's nothing else, maybe it's at least this, that in this very, very uncertain world, at least you know that life is more certain than death. And so if nothing else, maybe it's just the like, I don't know what life is all about, but I know what, death is creepy and scary, and I don't know what's coming next. So maybe it's just, well, it's better than, it's better than dying. But what's the purpose of life. We need to have an answer to this question. And 
as a community, as a group, we need to have an answer to this question. Because as we know, we are not individuals on this earth. Um, have you ever realized this about human nature? That we long for relationships with each other. We long to be with other people. We could not function without other people. In America especially, we're extremely individualistic. But at the same time, my goodness, imagine, imagine you guys, if you were the only human being on this whole earth. No one else anywhere. No God. I don't, so that couldn't even happen. I think that's an impossibility. But what if you were the only human being on this earth? Wouldn't that be scary and miserable and terrifying? That would be terrifying. What? I don't think there'd be any purpose to that. What if it was really just you? But no, no, no. We, we know that we, there's some kind of connection we have to other human beings, and we need each other. And so even collectively, we have to figure out what our purpose is, don't we? What's the point of all this? Well, um, as I said earlier, we, in this series, we're going through the book of 1 Peter. And so tonight, I'm going to look at what Peter has to say about this. So grab your Bibles if you have them, or app if you have a Bible app, and that's your um, mode. But um, we've been tracking through 1 Peter in this series. Um, I kind of said this a couple weeks ago. Now know this, 1 Peter is Scripture. It is the very Word of God. It is inerrant, inspired, the inspired Word of God, the inerrant Word of God. It is Scripture. And yet, at the very same time, it is written by a, a guy named Peter, a real person and historical, uh, exi- he existed. This guy was one of the twelve disciples. He walked with Jesus. He walked on water. He went through a whole lot of stuff with Jesus. And this is way beyond when Jesus is on the earth, as I said two weeks ago. But he just writes a letter. He writes a letter on parchment, whatever he wrote, would write a letter on, and he sends it to these groups of Christians that are scattered throughout the Middle East and Asia in about the year 60. So, again, if you're new to this stuff, know that this is historical fact. This stuff actually happened. No, Peter did not write in chapter and verse numbers, okay? Those were added later. What a fun job that guy had, right? Like, uh, number three, and then uh, here's a couple sentences, number four. But so that wasn't there. It was just a letter written to people. And the, the numbers are great now because it helps us navigate Scripture. Um, but so this stuff actually happened. So here's where we're going to pick up. We're still in chapter two. James is kind of here last week, but we're going to pick up in verse nine. So go First um, Peter chapter two, verse nine. He writes this, but you are, and we're going to stop there. How about that? We're going to be here till midnight. We're going to take this three words at a time, right? No. Check this out, you guys. Right at the beginning, he says, but you are. What we know from those first three words is this, that whatever comes next, Peter's giving us, that's identity language right there, isn't it? He doesn't say, now do this, but go do. He says, but you are. That's identity language. Whatever comes next, he's speaking to our identity And so I'm going to read just verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people. Again, he's writing this to Christians. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So you can keep your finger there, keep your Bibles open. We're going to move on a little bit. Here's the main idea for tonight. I just want to give you this right out the gate. What are we talking about tonight? 
I said, this is the product. What's the product of Christian community? What does Christian community produce? It's this. Mission. Mission. You're like, what does that mean? I will, I will get to that toward the end. I'll kind of define that a little bit more, nuance that. What is mission? But mission. Here's, here's kind of the main point for the night. The big idea, the main thing. I think you got some blanks maybe uh, on your uh, outline if you have one. Living on mission is something you are, not merely something you do. Living on mission is something you are, not merely something you do. Now again, toward the end of this, I need to go in a little more on uh, just what I mean by mission and what, you know, for some of you, you're like, that's, that's weird that no one talks like that. What are you talking about? But I'll get there. Jonathan Dodson, um, who uh, is a really great author, in my opinion, he's a pastor and author in Austin, Texas, and he writes this. He writes, missional It's not an event we tack on to our already busy lives. It is our life. Mission should be the way we live, not something we add on to life. We can be missional in everyday ways without even overloading our schedules. So here's the thing. This whole thing starts with identity. The understanding our purpose on this earth, and I just said it's about living on mission, but this whole thing starts with identity. We need to understand that. That oasis, you need to understand, and I need to understand, and we need to understand that first and foremost, we are a community as a group. We, not, we might not be a very good community. We might not be a very tight-knit community. We may not like each other very much, but we are a community. Again, this is hard stuff because if you, if you heard this before, we, this group represents 19 different high schools. You come here and you can just feel like a foreigner to everybody else because there's so many high schools in Omaha, Nebraska. But regardless, we are a community. And then get this, what Peter's saying here, he's saying this is your identity. You are a son or a daughter of God. He says you are chosen people. God chose you. If you're truly a Christian, I I recognize that some of you are here tonight, you might not be a Christian. This kind of excludes you, I'm sorry. But if you're a Christian, you are chosen people. You are royalty. He says you're a royal priesthood. What do the priests do back then? Priest kind of proclaimed God to the nations, announced God to the nations through offering sacrifices. And so today, as priests, Christians, we announce God to the nations through not sacrifices, but through one sacrifice, right? The sacrifice of Jesus Christ. A holy nation. We're holy. God sees us as holy. We're a people belonging to God. We are sons and daughters of God. And so, what's identity number one? I have three identities I'm giving you. If you have an outline, write these down. What's identity number one? We are part of a community and are now sons and daughters of God. We are part of a community and are now sons and daughters of God. These three things are totally huge. You're like, oh, this, uh, you know, just give me something to do, Brad. No, no, no. You have to understand this identity stuff, you guys. This is huge. We're a part of a community. We're sons and daughters of God. Now, what else is the identity of a Christian? What's number two? Number two is this, that we are both sinful and holy simultaneously. We are both sinful and holy simultaneously. I've said this before. We are sinful and yet absolutely 100% accepted by God if you're a Christian. You may be like, I didn't think that was possible to be those two things. No, no. It is. We can be both. This is what James talked about last week 
um, part of our identity now reads holy. But know this. Do you remember what he said last week? His main, point, his main point was this. It's about direction, not perfection. That we strive toward holiness, that hopefully the longer we're Christians, we begin to sin less and less. Sometimes our sins just change. But he, we will never be perfect in this life. I hope that is clear to you, that at some point you will not reach a state of perfection, okay? Because you're in a fallen, broken human body, someday the Lord returns, you'll have a new body. That'll be great. But as of now, you're both. It's utterly both. A Christian is both righteous and wrecked. Wrecked and righteous. And it's utterly both. And I know I've said that before, but again, that's huge. That is a completely unique identity. Here's why. You're a non-Christian. You don't have both of those parts if you're a non-Christian. And I mean, no, it should hurt me to say it, but a non-Christian is only wrecked. Before I became a Christian, I was only sinful. There was no part of me that had been redeemed. There was no part of me that had the righteousness of Christ. Does that make sense? But when you become a Christian, it's both. It's utterly both. So non-believers, they're only wrecked. I don't know that there's any group out there that says they are like 100% perfect, absolutely righteous. Some Christians may say that, and if they do, they're wrong. As long as you're in this body, you will sin. Scripture makes that clear. Just you should, common sense makes that clear. I, I don't know what Buddhists believe. Maybe, but anyway. But so often, we, we forget our identity now is not the way our identity was. Maybe last year, maybe two years ago, whenever it was for you that you came to know Christ. Again, Peter writes, once you were not a people, and now you are a people. Something significant changed. That's identity stuff. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. All right, go on. Um, keep your Bibles open, verse 11. Dear friends, Peter writes, we're just going to look at two more verses, you guys. Dear friends, he says, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. So even right here, just kind of as a side note, Peter is fully acknowledging that even these Christians, we have sinful desires. Our bodies are broken, they're fallen, so he tells them, abstain from sinful desires. But why? What does he, what does he start that with? Well, he says, again, identity language. You are. So what's identity number three? Is it already up there? You are aliens and strangers in this world. We are aliens and strangers. This world is not our final home, at least not the broken world. It's not where we belong. We're a part now of the kingdom of God if you're a Christian, not the kingdom of this earth. Um, here's the thing, though. So often, we just start living like, oh, I like this world, though. I'm an alien? What? I don't want to be an alien. Aliens are like, people think aliens are weird. I don't want to be weird. i got to fit in at my high school. And so, typically, we start to love the world again. We want to fit in. We want to be like our peers. Um, which is why there are so many Christian hypocrites in the world today. And a lot of people have an issue with this. Now, here's the issue. All of us can be hypocrites at times, correct? In fact, the person that says, you know why I'm not a Christian? is because too many Christians are hypocrites. I would say, amen, which... Like, that's why I need a Savior. That's why I go to church. That's why, you know, I'm not perfect. So the, one of the fundamental things is people think that Christians all think they're perfect. Here's my story of being a Christian hypocrite. Now, I still am now today a little bit, but in middle school, I was horrible. 
I was a horrible, fake Christian. I said I was a Christian all through, all through middle school, 6th, 7th, 8th grade. Probably started in 4th grade. Um, I didn't live like a Christian at all. Most obviously was my language, was my mouth. I would swear and cuss you guys worse than the worst people at school that I knew. I was kind of like, I've got to be accepted by my friends, and so if this is, if this is how we talk, I'm going to go to town. I mean, I'm, gonna, oh, I'm just going to shock everyone. I'm going to blow everybody away with my, whatever, vulgarities. And then I'd go home. You, you all know how, to, how this is done because a lot of you, I, I've heard it. You're, you're kind of like I was maybe still. You go home and you shut it off, right? You come to Oasis, you just, you just shut it off. But you go to school, like, oh, my friends are just dropping the F-bomb. So you just join them. I was absolutely like that. And you know why? I never, I never read the Bible. I never heard the voice of God. I never, I just wasn't giving myself to the voice of God. When all, of my, all of my free time, spare time, went with my friends. Just hanging out with my friends. And so, okay, what influence is going to win out? God's voice in my life or my friends' voice in my life? Well, one of, one of those voices didn't exist. I'm just going to listen to my friends. I'm going to talk like my friends talk. I was a fake. Why? Because I had an identity crisis in middle school. I, it's not easy, you guys. I understand. I'm out. We were all just in high school not that long ago. I know that that battle's hard. In fact, I had an, I had an easy out when we just moved. We just moved. I can be a whole new man. I can clean up my mouth. It's a piece of cake moving middle of high school. It wasn't a piece of cake, but it's easier. You guys don't have that. You become a Christian. Your friends are like, what? No. Forget. Like, and you, it's hard. How do you transform in front of your friends? I digress. Knowing our identity, you guys, causes us to live differently in the world. So again, do not miss this identity piece. This is huge. Knowing our identity causes us to, li- causes us to live on mission for Christ. Um, now, two, two things to keep in mind, two little principles here. One, if you're truly a Christian, you cannot exist, or you cannot exist to look like the world. You cannot go out and try to look like the world. If you are, you're probably not a Christian. But here's the other thing. Don't expect non-Christians to exist and look like Christians. Don't expect them, don't expect your non-Christian friends to act like you if you're a Christian. It should not shock you that they use the words that they do. But if you're a Christian, your words should be different than theirs. There's a fundamental identity difference. So don't get those two confused. So what's the purpose of life? What's the purpose of life? I'm still not going to give you an answer. But here's the thing, we will never understand our purpose if we don't start, if we don't first understand our identity, okay? Many people on this earth have an identity crisis. So again, living on mission is something you are. There's this identity part to it that you can't miss. It's not merely something you do. Okay, but finally, okay, I need to clarify still what exactly is our mission, and our purpose here. Because living on mission really does mean living differently. And so I just said that living on mission is something you are, not merely something you do. But get this, of course, it's also something you do. It's also something you do. So what is our mission from God? No shocker here. If you've grown up in church, you know this. Jesus says, make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's your mission. You can word it differently. Two weeks ago on that green handout, I said our mission in life should be 
um, to produce a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all people. Our mission should be to make God's name great amongst everybody. And then if everybody really thought God was so great, their lives would get better. So what's our mission to make disciples of Jesus? Okay, one last verse. Still got your Bibles open? You still tracking with me? Look at verse 12. This is how Peter kind of concludes then. He goes through all this identity language, and he says this, Live such good lives among the pagans, that is, just non-believers, non-Christians. ESV translation says Gentiles. Live such good lives among the non-Christians, the non-believers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Live such good lives among non-Christians that they'll eventually, that they will praise God, that they will glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter, you guys, assumes that we, that you, that Christians are living among non-believers, are engaging with non-believers. How, how very often do you, because of fear of the world or fear of non-Christian friends, do you not engage anyone? Now again, I'm not against, I think it's awesome, those of you that maybe go to a Christian school, that is beneficial. But at some point, I hope you want to have deep, really quality relationships with non-Christians. That's difficult. You have a different worldview. And yet Peter here is assuming that we're rubbing shoulders with non-Christians. We're friends with them. We're not looking like them, but we love them. We care about them. We are genuine friends of theirs. Are you engaging with non-Christians? And again, this is very tricky as a high school student. You slip into what they do. I'm going to read you this quote from two authors, Tim Chester and Steve Timmis. They're a really great book I've been reading. And uh, they write this, We are to live in the midst of an antagonistic world so that others will ask the reason for our hope. You understand that? We are to live in the midst of a very antagonistic world so that others will ask the reason for our hope. He says, this is the mission strategy Peter gives to these marginalized Christians living in a hostile context. Respond to hostility with good deeds. Live such good lives that people glorify God. At the heart of this mission strategy are not services, courses, programs, and activities, but ordinary lives lived for God's glory. Mission takes place not through attractional events, but through attractional communities. This doesn't mean that good works on their own are sufficient. He says proclamation matters. We're called to declare God's praises. We are to be ready to give an answer to everyone who, get, who asks us for the, the hope, to give a reason for the hope that we have. So the gospel is a message, but the primary context in which that message is proclaimed is everyday life. Here's what these guys are saying. They're saying, you're a Christian? Live your life. Just live your life. But be who you are. Like, live and talk like a Christian. It's like a brand new concept to some of us. What? Oh, I, I don't have to, like, go to school and be exactly like my friends? No. You're a whole different person now. You have a whole different identity. Your mission is to make disciples of Jesus. But now this. So, that quote, just as it indicated, he's kind of saying, make sure it's part of your everyday life. The context for this is everyday life. And so, here's my question. What are some of the everyday things that you guys do as high school students that you could do with more of a missional focus? What are some of those things? You go to school every day, right? Unless you're homeschooled. Is there a neighbor or a non-Christian friend 
that needs a ride to school. When I was in middle school, Aaron Knight came into my house every morning, and my dad gave both of us a ride to school. And it wasn't great, but it was like, I, was, I knew this guy so well, and he almost took me down a really bad path. I've talked about him plenty. Could you take, a, could you take someone to school? Going to school, eating meals. Who are you sitting with in the cafeteria at school? Only Christian friends, only your friends. Engage someone new, maybe. Watching a certain TV show. You guys do this all the time. You hang out with friends, but I don't know. Have people over, watch a movie together. You do this already, but maybe invite someone who's not a Christian. Working out, getting a haircut while you're on break at work. While you're at practice. You guys do all kinds of stuff on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Who cuts your hair? Is it your mom? If it's not, tell her what you do. Tell her what you're into. Tell her you love Jesus. Most hairdressers probably don't hear about high school kids that love Jesus all that often. Invite her to church. Um, as Christians, I think so often we're just like, yeah, I became a Christian. Yeah, I prayed a prayer once, whatever. It's cool. I go to, I go to church on Wednesdays. So, I don't know. Life's kind of boring. You guys, we need to be enthusiastic just about life in general, about Jesus, about loving others. Are you passionate at all about your friends? Are you, do you care at all that you maybe have friends that are headed to an eternal hell away from God? Does that bother you? It bothers me. I never, I just feel like, what, I wish I could do more. What can we do? What more can we do? If you have a love and a passion and enthusiasm for life, you guys, that's infectious. People want that. I don't care. You guys get excited about a new game on your new iPod? Everyone loves it. You get a crowd surrounding you. Get passionate about God, for crying out loud. Get passionate about Jesus. Care about your friend whose dad has cancer. Like, ask him about that every once in a while. Care about people. In order to be a community, we have to stop only caring about ourselves. So, what's the point? The point isn't, you need to go and tell more people about Jesus. No, the point is, be passionate about Jesus. Just be excited about Jesus. Whatever you're excited about, people will catch on to that. You will never attract people to Jesus if you're not excited about him yourself. And maybe that brings you down like, oh, yes, I know I need to amp up my... It's, it's not that hard. It takes some time. That's why we're in group together. That's why you have friends here. That's why you confess things and share things and you have a Christian brother or sister hold you up. So I'm going to close with this story. Um, again, this is from this book. I've been reading. It's called Everyday Church and uh, just great stuff on this topic. But let me close with this story. A group of friends in their mid-20s moved into a deprived neighborhood. I understand. So some of you, this is like 10 years removed, right? You're like, I'm in high school, but some of you are going to college next year. Some of you, in a year or two years, you're going to live on your own. You're not going to be under your parents' roof anymore. Um, but dream about this in your 20s. A group of friends in their mid-20s moved into a deprived neighborhood. Three made the move first, and they were gradually joined by others. There are now ten in total. A combination of marrieds and singles, male and female. There's nothing remarkable about these people. None of them are hardcore or edgy. There's not a tattoo among them as far as we are aware. Initially, the plan was to plant a church. 
A lot of time was invested in recruiting leaders, but to no avail. For some time, this failure to plant a church was a cause of considerable frustration, animated conversation, and earnest prayer. As this was going on, the Lord quietly got to work. How? Through these ordinary, unassuming individuals doing nothing more spectacular than being good neighbors. They were not a church. They attended a church elsewhere in the city. They did not hold meetings or do formal evangelism, nor did they significantly change the way they spoke or dressed. They just lived there, all very ordinary and unspectacular. Nothing they have done would merit mention in a missional church manual, but over a few years they have built credibility in the neighborhood through simply being the neighbors everyone would want to have. That's a pretty powerful statement. They do have a corporate identity. They are known as the Christians. That is because they share their lives and are in and out of each other's homes. They sit out on the street in the summer and talk to people. They visit, home, they visit people in their homes, take dogs for walks, help with homework, and assist with gardening. They bake, they mend, and they iron clothes. They go to the local cafe and as regulars have started a weekly quiz. This, is, this has led to helping a local couple get a cafe going helping to organize a wedding for a local family, and contributing to various birthday parties. It kind of goes on to say, I think they eventually become a church. But here's the thing. Can you imagine, can you imagine having neighbors like that? I think that'd be powerful. Can you imagine if every one of us, but not just every one of us, can you imagine if everybody that just went to church in America started living like this? I think it would revolutionize whole cities if people loved like that. If, I mean, and they were just living everyday life, but they cared about people. I don't know what it is for you. There are a million different ways that you can start living on mission. Again, the goal is making disciples of Jesus. For too many of us, we just don't care about people. We love this world too much, and we just don't care that much about other people. But sadly, this life is not all there is, and that's really good news to us, but it's really bad news to other people. You guys, I long for the day, just I imagine that someday, even us here, that we can be a community of high school students that look out for our friends' interests before our own, and that despite school differences and coming here and not knowing half the other people, you're just friendly, and you maybe introduce yourself to people, and I'm not like bagging on, you guys are great, I mean, I love Oasis, and I love coming here every week, so I'm not bagging on you, but it's just, I mean, 19 different schools represented. May we be this kind of community, and I pray that we would change the lives of others because we live differently, because we live on mission. All right, let's pray. Father, um, God, I thank you for this topic, but God, here's the thing. God, I know that in my life, and God, in so many people in this audience, I a topic like this, Lord, hits as just one more to-do. Just one more thing I'm not doing very good at. One more thing to make me feel guilty, even. God, some of us are tired of the guilt. But God, I thank you that this starts with us dwelling on the fact, God, that you went to the cross for us. God, that you took all of our sin, you took our shame, you took, you took our junk God, you paid for it yourself. God, that as Christians now, all we have is your righteousness. You give us your perfect record. You're our substitute, and we get your righteousness. God, we still have this, this sinful flesh. God, someday we won't, but God, thank you. God, we dwell on the fact that we're made clean. We're free from the fear of others. God, we can talk to people about Jesus because we're not so, 
We're not so obsessed with what they'll think about us. Because, God, we care about what you think about us, and we find our identity in you and not what others think. God, help us to remember that. Help us to dwell on that. God, we need a new identity. And God, I pray that new identities in each of us, in new hearts, and just, God, what you do, God, it would, it would play out in us living on mission, in us talking to people about Jesus. God, in us just living everyday life on purpose and with a passion and with intentionality. God, we need this. We live in, in a cold and a dark and a dying world, and we need your love and we need your grace. God, help us to do it. God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for doing what you've done in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.